The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to John chapter 16, we'll be looking at verses 16 through 33 together. John 16, verse 16 through 33. I'm real excited to preach this passage this morning. It really is an encouraging passage. It's a passage that I believe we desperately need to understand and that we desperately need to know really for the peace and the joy of our life to be able to sustain, to be able to, to persevere. And so I'm really glad that we get to this point in John and be able to find ourselves here. We get to the end. This is the end of Jesus's last sermon. That's what we're going to read today. Think about that. We're going to study the very last words that Christ would teach to his disciples. And now Jesus being the best teacher that the world had ever seen, obviously is going to say some things that must be of importance. Right? His final words to his students for them that they would need to know, that they would need to understand what he wants them to hear. You know, think about it. If, if you knew the moment that you, you walked out the door that it might be the last words you say to your family and you had to think about what should I say, you might sweat just thinking about that. What would I say in that moment? You know, what would I want to impart to them? What do, I, what do they need to be aware of? You know, that's, that's Jesus in this moment. He, he's going to share with them something very, very important. And I want to remind you because in John chapter 13, when this message really started, in verse 1, Jesus said, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. You got to remember that. He loved them to the end. And this is how he loved them to the end is he would now teach them. And we get to the very end of the teaching. This is how Jesus would love his disciples. And this is how he would love them well. In the face of death, in the face of the Father's wrath being poured out on him, Jesus would care for his own. And with great love, he would teach them. And if you think about the things that we've been going through in these chapters Jesus would love his disciples in many ways through his teaching. Uh, we talked about how Jesus would wash their feet in chapter 13 and show humility to them. In chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus would tell them, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. In verse 16 he, of chapter 14, he would promise them the Holy Spirit. This is all within this same teaching. In chapter 15, he would say, I am the vine, abide in me. We looked at that more in depth. In verse 11 of chapter 15, he would remind them, I say these things for your joy. This, these things that I am teaching you, I'm teaching them for your, for your joy, so that your joy can remain, so that your joy can last, so that it can be real. In chapter 16, verse 8 and 11, he promises again the work of the Holy Spirit, and he, he talks about what the work of the Holy Spirit will be. If you remember that the Holy Spirit would judge people based on their judgments, based on their righteousness, and based on their sin. And so now Jesus coming to the close of this sermon or this teaching with his disciples will share with them some troubling news, but then really some, some amazing news that still is true for us this morning. So follow along with me, verse 16 of chapter 16. 
It says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I really want to focus on verse 31 uh, through 33, and we'll get to that point here in a moment. But in verses 16 through 30, we see Jesus wrapping up his message and even answering a question that the disciples would have that they wouldn't ask, but he would know that they were asking it. And so he would answer them. He closes out this time with his disciples, again telling of his death and of his resurrection, he tells them, listen, you guys are about to hurt. You guys are about to feel pain. You guys are about to feel anguish. You're, you're, you're going to uh, experience something here in a moment of great lamenting. And the world is actually going to be excited about what's happening. The world is going to find joy in this, but, but you are going to hurt from this. And he uses the example of a, of a mother giving birth. And I've never done that before. So I can't speak to that to great detail. There says, there said, he says something in there that right after it's done, you forget. I don't know how true that is for all of you uh, in, your, in your life when you had children, but I understand the gist of what Jesus is saying there. A mother goes through all that pain of delivering a child, and it can be very difficult, and it can be very wearisome, no doubt. 
But then that baby gets nestled up on the mother's chest, and all of a sudden it seems like something changes in that mom a little bit. It's not about that pain anymore, but it's about the joy of having that child and the love that is already experienced between the mother and that, and that child. And so Jesus uses this example of saying, listen, you're going to go through something horrible very shortly. But don't worry, because soon after that, there's going to be great joy. There's going to be great joy, and there's going to be great rejoicing. And so after he talks about this with the disciples, he talks about prayer, of how they need to go to the Father, how they can pray in Christ's name, how before they couldn't pray in Christ's name, but now they'll be able to pray in Christ's name and saying, when you ask in my name, you will, re, you will receive what you ask for. I don't want to spend all kinds of time here because this isn't a message on prayer. But again, we see the importance of prayer for the believer, the importance of prayer in our life. Jesus, again, teaching that we should be praying, but now he's saying, but you need to be praying in my name. And what we see in scripture that as we grow in Christ, as we abide in Christ, that as we seek his face in all things, our prayer life actually changes to where our focus starts to become on his will, not our will, on what he would have for my life, not for what I perceive as the needs of my life. And so as I'm focusing on him, we see our prayers are answered because our prayers fall in line with scripture. They fall in line with his word and the truths of his word. And so Jesus talks very briefly there about prayer. And then we get to verses 29 and 30. And the disciples say that they understand what Jesus is saying. Now, if you feel like me, I don't know what Jesus said there to clear the air. I don't know exactly what he said to make it all of a sudden click in their head. But it seems as if something for the disciples clicked as Jesus was talking. And now in verse 29 and 30, they say, we understand, Jesus, what you are saying. And they, they actually make a really big statement because they say, we know that nobody can question you. They're saying, you are the teacher. You are the one who has the answer. You are the one who is right. You are the one that we can put our trust in, that we can put our hope in. And Jesus, we believe this. They are making a very big statement. It's a, it's a statement that we would wish as Christians, others would say, that we would say in our life. Right, Jesus, you are the truth. You are the life. We believe this. We, we hold on to this. And the disciples are saying this to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't necessarily respond how we think he would. And so we get to verse 31. And it says, Jesus answered them. And he answers them with a question. Do you now believe? It wasn't a, that a boy. Good job. Finally. I've, maybe now I can end my sermon because I think you get it. I think you understand. So now we can be out of here. It wasn't anything like that. He, he asked this question, do you now believe? And when you hear this question, I hope that it harkens back to a message that I preached just a few weeks ago with Jesus's interactions with Martha. You remember the story of Lazarus and they would send word to Jesus and Jesus wouldn't come for a few days and Jesus is then on, his, on the road to Bethany going to go to Lazarus and he's already said Lazarus has died and he's met in the road by Martha and they have a conversation and she, he talks to Martha but you remember at a point he looks at Martha and he asks Martha, Martha, do you believe this? That I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah. He asks her straight out, 
Do you believe this? In John 11, 25 to 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus, again, is asking this to his disciples. If you remember the rest of the story with Martha, Martha responded very well. She did believe this. She did trust in Christ as her savior. But if you remember, just a few verses after that, she showed how weak her faith really was because when Jesus would say, open up the tomb, it was Martha who would say, no, he stinks by now. He's been dead too long. No, don't open that. You see the weakness of her faith showing about. We have the same thing here with the disciples. The disciples are actually showing their weakness here. One could say and take this question of Jesus, the now you believe, as saying, now you believe? After everything you've seen, after everything you've heard, now after I said this, now you actually believe? You could take it that way. I I don't think that this is what Jesus means here. I think it's a different way. I think the other way that Jesus is asking this question is, is really kind of prod at them. Kind of, do you, do you really now believe? Because Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows what is about to take place. Right? When we, when we look at verse 32, this is what I think helps figuring out the interpretation there of the question that Jesus asked. Because in verse 32, he says, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. Again, Jesus predicting what what is about to happen with his group. He knows that he's about to go and face in the garden and arrest. He knows that Judas is betraying him. And he knows that when Judas comes and turns him over uh, to the authorities, he knows that the disciples might put up a little bit of a fight. But very soon after that, where are they going to go? Not with him back into Jerusalem. No, they're going to be scattered. They're going to run away because they are going to be scared to death. They're going to be scared for their life. And so they are going to abandon their Lord. They are going to flee their Lord in his biggest time of need on earth. They're going to run from him. And so he's asking them, do, do you now believe? But it's interesting because Jesus doesn't leave them there. He, he, he tells them the truth, right? Do you now believe? The hour is coming, you're about to be scattered. But, but notice he, he doesn't leave them there. He says, oh, and you will leave me alone, but yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. He assures them of this. He assures them that he is not alone and that he cannot be alone, that the Father is always with me, even to death, even to the cross, the Father is going to be with me because the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And so he is assuring them of this. And I would have to think that after all this plays out, after the death, burial, and resurrection and time with the disciples, and we see it happen here, John remembers this. He said he wouldn't be alone. And why does he do that? He says that for our benefit, for, for their benefit, because think about the shame and the guilt that the disciples had to felt afterwards. Understanding how they abandoned him, how it seemed as if they didn't care for him. But yet Jesus, again, loving them to the end and caring for them to the end, just throws in there, but realize I'm not alone. 
The Father is with me. When we get to verse 33, we need to break it down into a a couple little sections. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus talks about tribulation. He, he promises three things to the disciples here that I want us to look at. And the first thing is, is tribulation. Too often in our life, I believe we confuse the tribulation that Jesus has spoken of here with just everyday normal struggles of life. You will hear Christians say different things about the struggles that they're going through and they will say, you know, well, I'm just plodding on as a Christian. This is the cross that I have to bear. You know, I got to get up at five in the morning. It's the cross I have to bear to go to work. No, that's life. That's called life. That's not the cross that you have to bear. Or maybe for you, it was this morning. I'm going to bear my cross. I lost an hour, but I'm still going to head to church. This is the persecution I face as one of the saints. That's not what's being talked about here. Uh, These are the things that oftentimes we would point to. But I don't think that's what's being talked about. When you look at the word tribulation, it it has some eschatology or some end times things, but I think it's more than that of what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is saying is because of our faith in Christ, we will be persecuted. We are going to face difficulties. We are going to find ourselves in situations that we are in simply because of our faith. Taking a stand for the truth costs something. It does. It costs something. There will be times maybe where you can't take that job promotion because it's going to go against something with your faith or you have to leave the company you're with and maybe it has to do something because of your faith. You can't stand for what they're standing for or relationships in your life where you say this relationship is going to have to end because it's not based on truth. It's not based on truth. It's not based on Christ. And that's a struggle. That's, that's not an easy thing uh, to do. That doesn't go away. You know, we, we look at our teenagers and I, I look at people who are off into college and I just think about the temptation that they face constantly in their life. And, and I think of how often they probably fall into that uh, temptation and these, these struggles that they face. And, and the reason that they fall and they fail is because they know if they take a stand, it's going to cost them. They might not get invited next time. They might not get asked to be a part of it next time, but I I also know this, it doesn't end in college, does it? It continues on in our life where we we face situations that are very difficult uh, for our faith. And and to be honest, these situations that I'm talking about and that I'm calling difficult, compared to what Christians around the world face, they're very, very small. It's very minor. But nonetheless, it's very real to us. When we face these things, And Jesus is saying, listen, you will face tribulation. This is a problem. This is something that you will have. This is a promise. Again, this does not mean just normal, everyday struggles. This does not mean struggles and problems you face because of specific sin in your life. Sometimes I think we do that as well. We have sin in our life that needs to be dealt with, and we're not willing to deal with it and then we call this persecution that we're facing or, or we go to God, God, why am I struggling here? Why, is, why are we struggling with this? And, and God is saying, it's because of sin in your life. No, this is the cross I bear as a Christian. No, 
That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying you will face tribulation because of your faith. But he also promises this. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That in me you may have peace. So while there is a promise of struggle, there also is a promise of peace. That as we abide in Christ, that's what it says, right? In me you may have peace. So as we abide in Christ, we have true lasting peace that the world can't touch, that the the world cannot take away from us. Listen, I understand, and I think we all do in here, this world is chaotic. It's extremely chaotic. There are things that I watch, that I hear on the news, that I read in different papers. I just don't understand. I don't understand why we've got to this point. I don't understand why, why this is happening. I don't always have answers for all these different things. The world is in chaos, and to be honest, this world is very painful. But as Christians, we don't stand outside of this world, away from the pain, away from the suffering, away from the hurt, and do our little Christian things over there. That's not how this works. What Jesus is saying is, as a Christian, as my follower, you are going to be standing right in the middle of the pain, right in the middle of the suffering. But here's the thing, in the midst of it, because you're in me, I will give you peace. I will enable you to endure. Now, how is this? Why can we do this? Well, it's very simple. It's because we know the big picture. We know the end game as his followers. Oh, coronavirus is the big thing right now. Right? It's the big thing right now. And maybe it's worth being very scared of. And maybe it might lead to something very drastic. I don't know. I can't predict the future. But I know this. It doesn't change who Christ is. I might die from that illness and it might be sad for some people. But for me, that means that virus gave me what? Victory in the end because Christ has won it for me. Now, I don't run around the world then like I'm bulletproof. I don't act like an idiot and say, well, Christ will just, I mean, I'm not going to be worried about any of this stuff. Well, no, that's not how we live. We're not called to live that way. But I live in a way of understanding that in the midst of these difficulties, in the midst of these trials, I can have peace. Jesus doesn't promise me a life away from those things. No, in fact, he says, you are going to be right in the midst of it. And to be honest with you, Christians, it'll be worse for you because you're trusting in me and the world hates me. It's not going to be easier. As the bullets are flying, as the viruses are spreading, You're still standing saying, Jesus reigns. And you know what people are doing? Then they're throwing stones at you. Then they're calling you names. Then they're saying, no, you hate people because you hold on to the truth. You don't love anybody because of the things that Jesus says. They're casting all of this at you. Jesus doesn't promise us anything easy. I shared this Wednesday night with the people. The the picture that I have in my mind when I see the truth of this passage It's like a movie when there's a soldier and he's in the midst of battle and his buddies are getting killed one by one all around him and the enemy is sieging on him. And maybe it cuts to a scene to where the soldier gets shot and it kind of goes in slow motion and the soldier gets hit and the soldier falls maybe down to his knees. But then the camera does something interesting where it kind of 
focuses in on the soldier and the, and the stuff around gets a little bit blurry, but you still, you still hear bullets going by. You still hear explosions happening. You still see all this stuff taking place. But in some of those movies, all of a sudden, it seems like the soldier in the midst of it has a moment of peace. Like a moment maybe of realization of what's happening or a moment of what's taking place. But, but in the midst of all of this, there's peace. And where the viewer like you and like me are saying, now's not the time to do that. Now's the time to run. Now's the time to fight. Now's the time to do something. But in this moment, there's, there's peace. There's, there's no hope, it seems, anywhere around in the world around him. Death is probably imminent. But for some reason, there's peace. To me, that is a, that is a picture of the Christian's life at time in this world. There is no hope in this world. There's no hope or promises that we can hold on to in the things of this world. In fact, every, all of that is crashing down around us. But as Christians, we can have peace because we know our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Christ, who's came and done what? Well, he tells us in 33b, in the second part of that verse, what does he say? Be of good cheer. Now, wait a second. If I'm a disciple, I'm saying, no, you just told me I will have tribulation. How is that good news, Jesus? Listen, disciples, you're about to cry. You're about to lament. You're about to go through all this stuff. Life is going to stink for you. But be of good cheer. You're crazy. But what does he say? Be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome this world. Jesus says, I have overcome this world. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, I think he means the same thing he means in chapter 16, verse 8. He said, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the world that Jesus is talking about. Jesus has overcome Satan. Jesus has overcome sinners. He's overcome the rulers and the authorities of this world. Anybody who rebels against God, Anybody who rebels against the truth of his word. Listen, Satan pushes so hard against the truth of God. And we as Christians should understand this. If you're living your life faithfully, you understand this. That every day Satan is pushing against the truth. Trying to expand the boundaries. Trying to just expand it a little bit in somebody's heart to cause them to doubt. To cause them to think that it's not true. To hold them away from believing the truth of God's word. This is what Satan does continually. But Jesus says, I've overcome him. He is no more. He doesn't hold anything to me. Well, we ask them, well, what is he overcoming? This is what he means by the world. What is he overcoming? The sin that was ushered in from Adam. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And because of that, we face so many struggles. Because of that, we still sin today. We are guilty of our sin. We can't blame that on Adam. But when sin came into this world, all of a sudden there was strife. All of a sudden there was struggles. The rebellion that is led by Satan to this moment. The lostness and the hopelessness of this world that this world has to offer. These are the things that Jesus is saying, I have overcome that great chasm that separates me from God. That, that void that I just simply cannot get past on my own. Jesus says, don't worry, I have it covered. I've covered it for you. Well, how does he do this? How does he overcome the world? How can this be? How can this happen? Three ways, quickly. 
Number one, because of his life. Jesus lived the perfect life. He never faltered at it. He never sinned. He never felt short. As Satan tried to push him over the boundary, Jesus would say, get away from me, Satan. Man cannot live on bread alone. Oh, you can try to tempt me, but it's not going to work. I, I am my father's. Yeah, the sa- Satan would offer him kingdoms, would offer him all these different things. Oh, no, no, no. I am my father's and I will do what he tells me to do. Because of his life, that was perfect. Nobody else can say this. Nobody else has lived a sinless life. Only Jesus has done this. And because of this, he completely fulfilled everything that the father had him to do because of his perfection. But it wasn't just in his life, but then also his death. As he lived that perfect life, this raised his death. Now his death could actually be the payment for sin. You see, your death does not pay any sin. You know why? Because your life is full of sin. It's full of sin. And so it cannot be the sacrifice that is needed. But Jesus's could be because it was perfect. And so he paid the penalty of sin. It was the only thing that would satisfy the wrath of God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 26, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, even those lambs that would be slaughtered in the Old Testament had to be consecrated. They just simply weren't good enough. They just simply weren't perfect enough. So they would need to be set aside and there would have to be rituals done before they could kill the thing. And the person who would kill the thing would have to go through all these cleansing as well. Why? Because they're just full of sin. And so it just wasn't enough to cover the sin. What we read there in Romans was this. Jesus was perfect, and so his death was enough. It was the propitiation that was needed. It was what was needed to take the wrath of God away from us. Christ did that in his death. But it's not just his life, and it wasn't just his death. But it was the fact that he's not in the tomb anymore. It's also his resurrection. Because in his resurrection, he conquers death and hell. He does it both. Because of his resurrection, we can be assured that now, at this very moment, he's at the right hand of the Father, sitting in position of authority and supremacy. Because of his resurrection, we can be assured of this as well, that one day he will return. And that when he returns, he will submit all things to himself. See, the Bible promises us some things now about Satan being bound and some different things that that we can have hope in and that we can glorify God in. But we also understand that we still struggle, that there's still struggles in this world today. But because we know that Christ lives, we can be assured that he will come back. And that when he comes back, he's coming back with all power, 
with all authority and it's all ending. It's all ending. It will be conquered once and for all. So the last question for us this morning is what does this mean then for us? All right, Jesus, the final words that you would teach us right before your death is you says, I have overcome the world. What does this mean for me? Maybe that's your question. What does this mean for me? It means hope. It means in a world that's hard, in a world that is difficult, there is hope, but it can only be found in the one who has conquered and overcame the world. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, you can follow along with me because I want you to see the truth of this passage. Paul would say, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See what Paul's saying? Live sinfully, just did whatever felt good, whatever felt right, whatever the world said, that's how we once lived. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You might be asking this question this morning, what does this mean that Jesus overcame the world? What does this mean for me? I can answer this 100% honest. It means absolutely everything. It means absolutely everything. I'm privy to some of people's problems in here. They call me, they text me, they let me know things. And I know that there's people who hear me right now who are going through just some drastically horrible things in their life. Not because of any sin in their life or anything. But they're just going through some bad things. And they ask questions. Why is this happening? Or, or what can I do for this? And I sit there and read that text and think, I know they know I see this. And I know they're waiting for a response. But what in the world? I don't, I don't know how to answer this. I don't know how to, how to tell you that it's all going to be okay. You know, I don't know how to, how to tell you to make this all work in your mind. I don't have that answer. I'm not sure what that is. I have my own things that I wonder as well. I have my own things in my own life that I sit back and I think, what is going on here? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. God, what, why is this taking place in my life at this moment? Another thing? Another struggle? Another problem? Really? You might feel that way. 
You might really feel that way this morning. And I can't sit here and tell you, listen, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And in a year, in two years, everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to be perfectly fine. Your family's going to be good. Don't worry about it because God loves you. So it's all going to be fine here. That promise isn't, doesn't exist. But this is the promise that I do have because of Christ. And you need to hear it. He has overcome this world. And this world is not final. This world only lasts for us 75, 85, 95 years. And then it's gone. And what God has promised us is that life doesn't end there though. That we are made eternal. And that we will actually live forever. And he has promised us that in living forever, we can live with him forever. Only through Christ who's overcome the world. And so yes, you might be going through some horrible struggles. You might be like that soldier that I talked about. It looks like there is no hope. I I don't know, but I know this. Christ has overcome the world for you. If you will by faith trust and believe in him. If you will accept his grace in your life. As Christians, we have to know, we have to hold on that the things of this world are temporary and they mean nothing compared to the things of God. I know that's hard for us because we've only ever lived here. This is all we really know. But it's the truth. The things of this world are nothing so much that Jesus would say, I've overcome it. I've overcome it for you. I'm gonna ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. This really was one of the most exciting passages I've studied in a while. I hope that you'll respond to God's word this morning. Maybe it's by just in your life reaffirming what you know and what you believe to be true and looking to God and saying, God, I do feel like that soldier. I'm struggling, but God, I believe in you. I I trust in you in this. You've overcome the world for me. Or maybe this morning for the first time, you need to trust in Christ as the overcomer of the world and be forgiven of your sins through him, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. If you do that this morning, I hope you'll come and let me know or talk to me. I'd I'd like to know and talk to you more about that. But I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and this song will be a time for you to respond to God's word, how you need to respond. God, we thank you. God, I don't even know how to begin to say thank you for the truths that we see in your word. God, if it was me and I created the world and the world sinned and the world turned its back on me, the last thing I would do would send my son to have it forgiven. Oh, I might send my son to destroy it. I might send my son to conquer the world, yes, and overcome the world, but not so that they could come and reign with me. But God, in your great love, that's what you've done. You sent your son to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to raise again for those who are rebelling against you, those who are returning their back from you, those who would curse you. And God, that includes me. And so I thank you this morning that you would help me to see the truth of your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he overcame the world. And God, I pray that this morning that truth would even continue in the hearts of others. 
that as Christians, we would hold on to that in the face of difficulty, that we would have peace and that we would have joy that just can't be stolen. So God, help us in our weakness. Thank you for being a loving father who holds us and who cares about us and who understands our weaknesses, just like Jesus did with the disciples. God, you understand our weaknesses, but yet you still see our faith and you know it to be real. So God, this morning I pray that we would praise you as the overcomer, as the one who's overcome all things in this world, who's conquered Satan, who's conquered the enemy. You deserve to be praised. You deserve to be glorified. So help us to do that now as we sing this last song and prepare to leave. We ask in Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.